there are not too many things that we can say that all people have in common. Not, not very many things that you can say are true of most, not all people. But one thing that, that, that most all people do share is a desire to be happy. Everyone has this desire within them to experience joy, contentment, happiness. But what makes people different is that, that everybody has a different opinion about the path to take that leads to long-term joy, to lasting happiness. There, there are some who say that the uh, pathway to happiness in life is to make yourself known, to be famous. We certainly see that in our day today on social media. The YouTubers out there, they're trying to make themselves known, doing some pretty crazy things on video to bring happiness, to be, to be known. Some say it's in the stuff you have. It's about stuff. Happiness is found in, in wealth, in possessing material things. If you have that house you've always wanted, that car you've always wanted, if you live this certain way in this certain neighborhood, have this job, this amount of money in the bank, then you'll be happy. Others say happiness is found in pleasure, and they go after that with all their might. In sexual pleasure, or in the, the, the abuse of drugs and, and alcohol, so we're, we're similar in that we, we all want to be happy. We want to experience a joy that lasts. Where we disagree is the path to take that truly leads to happiness. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. We're continuing Luke's gospel, and we are still in the third section of the book discussing Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And uh, we have come to a very familiar section of this book. We're at Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, I called last week, his Sermon on the Mount, as you know it in uh, Matthew. He's uh, at an elevated flat spot, we'll say that, okay? Some call it Sermon on the Plain, some call it Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's account, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus went up on this mountain and uh, he spent the night praying. And after praying all night, he calls his 12 disciples. Then he comes back down from the mount with them and settles in a flat part of that mountain. Luke tells us in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 17, he came down with them and stood on a level place, probably elevated a bit above the crowd so that he could properly address them. D.A. Carson, in his book, Exegetical Fallacies, says that the Greek word translated plain or level place can mean a, a plateau in a mountainous region, okay? So that's where he is, not to split hairs there. But uh, we're told that there were three different groups. We talked about this last time. There were the 12, and then there are a larger multitude of disciples from the area and an even larger number of non-believers who have come from all over to hear him as far as Tyre and, and Sidon. 
And Jesus, at the beginning of this sermon, is instructing his disciples. Now, some commentators are torn over, is he just talking to the twelve, or is he talking to the larger group of disciples mentioned in Luke 6? I believe it's that group. He's speaking to them, and we'll find in this sermon that he is speaking to true disciples and those who are not. And we know in both groups there were imposters, right? We know there was one imposter in the twelve, Luke tells us about it, and we learn about it as we continue to read through his gospel account that Judas Iscariot was a traitor. We also know that while Jesus had thousands following him for a time, there's only a little over a hundred after his his resurrection before he ascends. So, So many of them turn away as well. But Jesus is addressing them, those gathered, and he is talking on what it takes to follow after him, and he is showing them that the one who takes the path of his disciple, the path of trusting in him and following hard after him and living life in relationship with him is the one who is truly blessed and highly favored. He is the one who finds true peace. He is the one who finds lasting happiness. That's why he says again and again in verses 20 through 23, blessed, blessed, blessed. And in verses 24 through 26, to the one who does not follow after him faithfully, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Now, while Jesus teaches his disciples that there is happiness to be had in being his disciples, there is blessing to be experienced in a life lived in right relationship with God through him, his teaching on the path to true contentment to lasting happiness is strange. It is completely counter to our culture. Those who say today in our world, well, I don't, I don't like the rest of the Bible, but I, I like Jesus' teachings. They're not thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. I'll tell you that. That's completely counter to our world. We're going to see that today and next week as we look at the first part of this sermon. To the surprise of many in the crowd, and many today, Jesus makes it very clear in this sermon that true and lasting happiness is not found in fame, in pleasure, in material wealth, and in worldly acceptance. In fact, he says the opposite. In this sermon, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and those who are rejected. Now, that's counter to our world, isn't it? Then he says, the rich, full, happy, and accepted are cursed. What an odd teaching. What what does Jesus mean by this? Well, we're going to discover that this morning and, and, and next Sunday as well as we look at verses 20 through 26. Jesus is going to show his disciples here that those who are truly favored, those who find lasting contentment and pure joy are those who choose the path of poverty over wealth, hunger over fullness, mourning over laughing, spiritual persecution over worldly acceptance. That's the path of a true disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is the path to joy. So we're going to, uh, today we're going to examine this countercultural message at the beginning of this incredible sermon of Jesus. Let me begin by reading it for us and then we'll discuss Jesus' instruction to his disciples on what it truly means to live a blessed life. Luke 
6, beginning in verse 20. Look at it with me. Hear the word of the Lord. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Several things I want you to notice from this passage that we're going to see this week and next week. Number one, in God's kingdom... The poor and needy are rich. The poor and needy are rich. Look at Luke 6, 20, and then we'll skip down to verse 24. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Then look at verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Jesus says here, blessed are you who are poor. Matthew records, Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what is meant by poor here. And this would not have been lost on his first century audience. Oftentimes, David referred to himself in the Psalms as poor and needy. King David obviously was not referring to his economic status, but his spiritual status. Jesus says here, blessed is the man who is poor and needy in spirit. Now, let's be honest for just a moment with the fact that this message goes completely counter to our world today, does it not? In our world today, we're told that those who are happy are those who are rich. A a blessed person is a wealthy person, especially one who is rich in spirit, one who has a high view of themselves. Our world says a blessed person is the one who has a positive self-image, a high self-esteem, one who is independent and self-sufficient in need of no one or nothing. Listen to what Arthur Pink said about it in his book on the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. Look at this quote. Pink says, The attitude that the world admires and praises is a haughty, self-assertive, and self-sufficient disposition. It's an attitude that refuses to bow to God, that determines to brave things out, and that says with Pharaoh, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? That is very much the mentality of of our world today. We praise the self-assertive and the self-sufficient. We encourage people to find happiness inside of themselves. We say the one who loves oneself and who has a high self-esteem, the one who is rich in spirit is the one who is blessed. That's the message of the world. Happiness is found in self-love. The greatest love of all is found where? According to Whitney Houston. Inside of me. 
She went on to say in that song that learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. It's being rich in spirit. Our world teaches that being rich in spirit is the path to happiness, both monetarily and in spirit. What's the problem with that mentality? One, the Bible and history and our personal experience. They all tell us that that pathway does not really lead to lasting happiness. It does not lead to the place that it promises. It does not lead to joy and contentment. And I don't mean this in a disrespectful way at all, but think about it. Where did it lead Whitney Houston? She once sang as if she had it all figured out. But it turns out, sadly, she did not. It leads in the opposite direction. Remember Solomon, David's son. He was the king, had more wisdom than you and me, more money than you and me, more popularity, everything he could ever want. And he went after happiness under the sun, which he calls it in Ecclesiastes. He didn't keep one thing from himself in his pursuit of happiness, and he lived to tell us the story. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And what did he say about it? You remember very first part of Ecclesiastes, he says, Vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. Life under the sun is vanity. It's meaningless. It's futile. It's a striving after wind. Solomon says, living for yourself and being rich in spirit and serving yourself and having a high view of yourself and living selfishly to make yourself happy is meaningless, it's futile, and there is no joy in it. Counter to the world. But God is very clear in his word. Life under the sun, a life lived apart from and opposed to God, which is what that is, going a life on your own, is going opposed to God. A life lived for self, for pleasure, for fame, for fortune. A life lived with oneself at the center, a self-focused, self-involved, self-centered, self-loving life does not bring happiness that lasts. It's vanity. It's vanity. And many of us, if we're being honest, deep down, we know this to be true because many of us have been down that road and we know where it leads. Let's hear it from someone from the world. Comedian and actor Jim Carrey once said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. So says Jim Carrey, so says Solomon, right? The Bible tells us this. History tells us this. Experience tells us this. That, that this path, the path of pleasure, the path of fortune, the path of fame, the path of being rich monetarily, the path of being rich in spirit is the path to disappointment. It's the path to sorrow. It's the path to misery. It is an empire of dirt. Vanity of vanities, futile, meaningless, and empty. Look at what Jesus says, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Jesus says here, those who seek to find happiness in those things, they may find that, but they find only that and nothing more. Those who 
who fail to see their spiritual poverty and their, their needs settle for far less than what God intends and they forfeit the kingdom and they eventually lose everything. Their life is not ultimately blessed, it's cursed. Their end is not glory, it's judgment. Sad, sad. And we see it all the time. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor. You want to experience happiness, contentment, satisfaction, joy, long-term. What is the path to take? Jesus says the path to blessing is poverty. And again, he's not speaking monetarily here. He's not referring to our finances, but he's talking about our spiritual state. And get this. The word translated poor here does not mean having little. It means having nothing. The word means to have nothing whatsoever. It means to be in complete need. Again, Arthur Pink helps us with this. Look at this uh, quote from his book up on the screen. To be poor in spirit is to realize that I have nothing, am nothing, and can do nothing, and have need of all things. H.A. Ironside said this in his commentary on Luke. It is to be without spiritual assets. It is to acknowledge that in yourself you have absolutely nothing to satisfy God. It is a very thorough statement, and it starts from within. It's realizing that at your core, at the core of your being, at the heart, you have nothing or nothing and can do nothing and are in complete need. Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy, if you want to be satisfied, content in life, you have to come to this point where you see yourself in this way. I had a pastor friend of mine who put it in this way. He said, to be poor in spirit means to recognize that at the core of your being, that before God, you are absolutely, completely, morally bankrupt in his presence and in complete need of him. It means to be a spiritual beggar at God's throne of grace. It's realizing you are in complete need of him to work, and apart from him, you have no hope whatsoever. That is what Jesus is after here. That is where Jesus wants us to end up. That's where he wants us. The answer to respectfully disagree with Mrs. Houston is not inside of you, it's in him. It's in Christ. The reason why being poor in spirit leads to happiness is because of where it leads and who it leads us to. Being poor in spirit leads us to our knees, it drives us there, and it leads us to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Look at it again, verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, those who are poor in spirit are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Being poor in spirit leads us down so that we can go up. It leads us outward instead of inward. It leads us to Jesus, and through Jesus, we're made right with God, and we become his kingdom people, safe and secure spiritually in him now and for all eternity. That's where it leads. Counter to the world. Teaching of Jesus. Notice the second point Jesus makes. He says, in God's kingdom, the hungry are satisfied. Get it with me. Blessed are you who are hungry now. 
for you shall be satisfied. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Notice here that while Luke's account is similar, a, a, a difference in uh, Matthew's, in Matthew 5, 6, he adds the words and thirsts for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In the Lucan beatitude, and you've heard that used, beatitude, that's just a Latin word that means blessed or, or blessing, okay? This is Jesus' teaching on the blessed life, these, these blessings. Luke's emphasis here seems to be more on physical hunger that Jesus' disciples would no doubt have faced, but he and Matthew both have spiritual satisfaction in mind. Robert Stein, in his commentary on Luke, says this, the main emphasis is on spiritual hunger. Now, this teaching, like the one previously, goes completely counter to the beliefs and teachings of those in our world today, and I'll show you why. Intuitively, when we hear the word hunger and thirst, we don't think happiness, do we? How many of you are happy when you're really, really hungry? We call it being hangry at our house when we're real, when we're real hungry, so much so we're angry. We believe having a, a hunger and thirst satisfied is what makes us happy. When we think about being in need, the word that comes to mind is dissatisfied, not being content, feeling unfulfilled. We think misery, right? We tend to think that if we're in need, we're not happy until we have that need met. A happy person is a fulfilled person, a satisfied person, a content person, a person with no problems, no worries, like in The Lion King. I know that movie just came out again. Did they do the Hakuna Matata? Did they sing that again? Yeah. What does that mean? No worries, right? Those of you Lion King, don't, you're staying quiet, but you know what it is. I've seen it. No worries, right? They sing, these two words will solve all your problems. No worries for the rest of your day. It's a, it's a problem-free philosophy. That's the way many of us think. We, we don't like to be needy. We don't view a needy person as being happy and blessed. It's the one who has no needs, no wants, no issues, no worries. That's the person who has no problems and is happy for the rest of their days. And we strive to be this way in our own strength, to have no needs, to be satisfied. What's the problem with this mentality? It just doesn't ultimately work, right? And the reason why is because we are constantly in need. We are extremely needy. We have all kinds of needs. We, we come into this world in complete need of another. You come to realize this as a parent, right? Pretty quickly, how dependent those babies are on you to live. And then you grow up and you become a bit more independent, yet you're still so needy. Need a job to make money so that you can have a place to live, food on the table. You need someone to provide that food for you that you go buy or you need someone to, to build your home that you live in. You need a vehicle to get from place to place, doctors and nurses and health care providers and facilities when you get sick or injured. You, you're in need of air to breathe, right? Moment by moment, food to drink daily, on and on it goes. We are so needy. We are dependent upon so many things, whether we want to admit it or not. We are a needy people, and get this, we learn this not only from experience, but we learn this truth from Scripture, and we also learn that God wants us to be needy. He wants us to understand our neediness. Christ wants his disciples to know here 
that to follow after him, one must realize that they are in complete need of him and hunger and thirst for him. He basically says here, blessed is the person who sees that he is in need. Blessed is the person who hungers. Blessed is the person who thirsts. Now, what does Jesus say the blessed person is in need of? What are they to hunger and thirst for? We learn that from Matthew 5. What is it? Righteousness, right? So see if this sounds counter to our culture because people love, in our world today, they say they love the teachings of Jesus. They don't like the rest of it, but Jesus' teachings are good. He's a good moral teacher, right? Listen to his teaching here in his most important sermon. He basically says here, Blessed is the person who sees that he or she is a wretch and in need of a right standing before God. Blessed is the person who realizes their best is nowhere remotely close to being good enough. Blessed is the person who is absolutely desperate and completely dependent upon the Lord. That is counter to our world today. Blessed is the person who knows he fails to measure up and is in complete need of the righteous life of another. Blessed is the Christ follower who continues to see what is lacking in himself and longs to be more like Jesus and never stops pursuing godliness. You see, believers, you don't get off the hook on this verse. This verse is for non-believers and it's for believers. It speaks both of salvation and of sanctification. MacArthur says in his book on the Beatitudes, this verse points to two things, salvation and sanctification. Look at what Pink says about it. This Beatitude describes a twofold experience. It obviously refers to the initial hungering and thirsting that occurs before a sinner turns to Christ by faith, but it also refers to the continual longing that is perpetuated in the heart of every saved sinner until his dying day. Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, watch this, for you shall be satisfied. When you first realize your sinfulness and your need for Christ's righteousness, and when you forsake that sin, and when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, you find everything you could ever want or need in Jesus. If you don't believe that, ask a number of people in here this morning. They will repeat that to you. It's absolutely true. You're forgiven of sin. You're made right with God, you're changed from the inside out. You have a new hope for the future, a true purpose in life, and a joy that is not gauged by life's circumstances. You experience a fullness, a satisfaction that you never had before when you forsake your sin and you bow the knee to King Jesus. That happens at salvation. But you also realize after salvation that there is a great work that God still needs to do in you. Believers, am I right? Amen? You, you realize that. While you are not where you once were, you're nowhere close 
to where you need to be in Jesus. So you begin to long to be more like Jesus and you begin to pursue godliness. And the more you do, the happier you are. I'm talking about the Christian life here. But, but you, you also see even clearer, the closer you get, how far you have to go to be more like Jesus. So you continue to long for more. You hunger and thirst for more. You grow more. You experience more of a fullness and a satisfaction that comes from that right relationship with the living God through Christ. That's how it's meant to work. So there is this initial satisfaction. There is this continual satisfaction. And then there is a glorious final satisfaction. When Christ returns, we're forever changed and completely satisfied and totally filled. John says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, present tense, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're to be pursuing godliness until Jesus returns. And as we do, we, we continue to hunger and thirst to be more like Jesus. So we continue pursuing godliness. We grow. We're satisfied, but that satisfaction is incomplete. So we continue on until that day when Jesus returns. And when he appears, we're told when he comes, when he appears, we're going to be like him. We're going to be complete. We'll be completely like Jesus and be full and satisfied that's our future believers again look at what pink says about it all that we presently enjoy is but a mere foretaste of all that our God hath prepared for them that love him in the eternal state we will be filled with perfect holiness for we shall be like him then we shall be done with sin forever. Boy, I can't wait for that. Can y'all? Then we shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. Jesus says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And the opposite is also sadly true. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry those who believe they have all they need apart from Christ will ultimately come up completely empty. Sad. Again, look at this quote from Ironside. He says, Those who gorge themselves with present worldly enjoyments, ignoring the more important spiritual realities, will find themselves left in a state of bitter disappointment and unsatisfied yearning when life's short day is ended that is absolutely true sad for many but true maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering if you are truly hungering and thirsting for the Lord as you should I have a few uh, helpful questions for you to ask yourself before we leave here today one are you satisfied with where you are spiritually are you like, I'm good? You know what the Puritans used to say? They said, he has the most need of righteousness who least wants it. So if you're saying I'm good, that means you need it. More than what you're seeing. Do you want righteousness? Do you see your need for it? Or 
do you think you've arrived spiritually? The godly understand how far short they fall of Christ's likeness and they have a greater desire for godliness today than ever before. Believers, do you have a greater desire for godliness today than ever before? We should. Here's another question. Are you looking for satisfaction in earthly temporal things more than your relationship with God through Jesus? Here's the thing. This is, this is true. When you fill yourself with earthly things, you may lose your appetite for spiritual things, but you hurt yourself spiritually. Let me repeat that. It's important. When you fill yourself with earthly things, you may lose your appetite for spiritual things, but you hurt yourself spiritually. It's like eating unhealthy. Though it may take care of your appetite, inside it's harming you in the long run. We, we have to fill this, this, this longing that we have, this appetite, this spiritual appetite we have with the things of God. Do you hunger for God's word? Do you long to commune with God and spend time with him? If not, that's a problem. Did you know that neglecting time with, with God in prayer and in his word is really you forfeiting happiness? It is. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Every day you, you choose not to do that, you're just forfeiting happiness, true happiness, lasting happiness that pours out of a relationship with God through Christ. You don't want to forfeit happiness, right? That's what Jesus is saying. He, he, he tells us what to hunger and thirst for, and he followed this example. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus, he didn't just tell us certain things to do. He exampled it for us, did he not? Remember when his disciples were urging him to eat in John? They were offering him something physical, something temporal to satisfy his appetite. Remember what Jesus responded with? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus tells them, what I hunger for is to be who God has called for me to be and do what God has called for me to do. And he calls for us to do the same. And he tells us, if we do, we'll be blessed. If we do, we'll be happy. If we do, we'll be filled. If we do, we'll be satisfied. Maybe you're here today and if you're being honest, Luke 6, 24 describes where you are. You've sought happiness and fulfillment in the things of this world. You have tried to fill this, this longing, this hunger that, that you have by chasing after worldly success and pursuing wealth and prestige and power and pleasure in earthly things. Jesus says those who do that may find that, but they'll find simply that and nothing more. They forfeit the kingdom and eventually they lose everything. Their life is not blessed, it's cursed. Their end is not salvation but condemnation. Not a kingdom and divine satisfaction but rejection and divine judgment. If I'm describing you, I plead with you today while there is still time, 
Repent of your sin. Surrender your life to Christ as Lord. Consider the fact that you're poor. You're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. You're a sinner in need of forgiveness, in need of Christ, righteous life. In exchange for your sinful one, forsake that sin. Make Christ Lord today and be saved. Let's pray together.